Welcome to the world of stand-up. You just put your emblem away. Mm-hmm. You said it was a combination of a pentagram and the Star well, of David. It's where they get that from. Okay. It's where both get it from. Okay. Because it doesn't mean good or bad either way. Right. It's where the Egyptians. This got is it some from. Robert Langdon shit right here, dude. This oh, is, for sure. Yeah. So I might as well just leave it out and we'll just leave have it a out, conversation. dude. Yeah. We know you're not, you know, worshiping the devil. I mean, not on. I mean, I like not the hell on out Fridays of the guy. anyway. He's you know? pretty cool. We were talking about that, like. What an interesting character of folklore, you know? Yeah. We're supposed to be scared of this guy when he's he knows exactly how to get you to do what you want. Uh, what a great marketer, you know? Yeah. Let's have this conversation. Okay, let's we'll do it. We'll start whenever you're ready. We're, we're, we're rolling right, right now, now, dude. Yeah, oh, we're okay. going. Okay, cool. So you the the Satan conversation. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, man. This guy. So I grew up <laughs> I grew up Mormon, right? Yeah, me too. Yeah. So I'm LDS, Latter-day Saint. Yeah. And every what is that fourth Sunday? They have fast and testimony meeting yeah. where people bear their testimonies and they talk. Yeah. And there was one woman in particular that was like, I got asked to speak and I didn't know what it was about. And the Bishop just said, Hey, you'll figure it out. So she said all week I've been tested every day. Satan has tested me. He's like, are you willing? Are you um, responsible? Are you willing? Are you capable of standing in front of a congregation and, and worthy of giving this talk. And she's like, I didn't know that I was. Like, I fought this, and I went down the hole. And she goes this whole thing, and she's finally, God touched me. And in that moment, I knew what I was talking about, or I knew what I was going to deliver. I knew that I was worthy of this. Okay. And my mind's going, who did all the work? Was right. it the God guy, or was it what you called Satan, who Satan's just like the, questioned you? Dude, Satan's like the fluffer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got him ready, dude. Yeah. And then God was like, you know, I'm just going to give you a little tippity-tap here. Yep. I'm worthy, dude. He did all the dirty work, man. Yeah, man. Imagine all of the hard struggles that you've been through in your life for a minute and what they've done for you, where you're like, ah, why am I just punished? You know, Satan and these terrible things and these thoughts and these demons are after me. But once you get through them and you're like, oh, that was just me on a bad day. Yeah. And you move forward, you just expand. Dude, it brings up a a thought. I've had this conversation many times with many different people that have many different backgrounds in religion and spirituality. And I, I love the idea of talking about this with you. Which is it, in your opinion? Because I don't know. I don't know if, you know, the whole idea of the concept of evil, mm-hmm. which is attributed to Satan, mm-hmm. is really like a force, like a power, like there's an evil sort of mist or yeah. energy, or if it's like light, for example, like darkness isn't a force, it's an absence of light. Sure. And so when you look at it from a spiritual standpoint, is evil just an absence of understanding? Is 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 evil actually just an under undeveloped expression yeah. of righteousness? It's just misguided because it's incomplete? Or is it like the, it's like gravity? It's like there's a force, like an evil that can, like a, a pull. Sure. I don't know the answer to that. And All it's right. curious to me. It was a good question. Years ago, I went down the rabbit hole. I moved, you know, sold all the stuff. I moved to the jungle, and then I studied in hidden and underground That's not hyperbole. You Italy. actually did this. Like, I you actually, went to Mexico. I, I lived there for three years. I got rid of everything. Like right. Every attachment, all these really cool story around this piece. But I'm going, I want to learn. And I got tired of learning from people who wrote something this century. Because it's yep. just somebody's opinion about what somebody wrote 
way back when. It's a big circle jerk, really. So just started studying all the religions, but I'd only get original texts. So anything over like 300 years, I'm in it. Like I would read it okay. and just go down this rabbit hole to find these answers. So the easiest way I can explain it this way, my understanding. On the light, you have a light switch with a dim switch, right? Right. And you push the frequency up and the light goes bright. Right. You push the frequency low and the light goes dark. So it's not different. It's just a different frequency. Evil is just at a lower pace. So it's undeveloped. It's a undeveloped. lower frequency of righteousness. Yeah. Okay. So neither one of those, but the, the, the piece is, is it's not, it's not evil or righteousness. It's just an energy, and you choose where you want to express that. Right. It's your choice. You know, that, that, that's a beautiful answer because it makes sense in a lot of ways. I've never understood how, uh, like, if, if, if evil is or was a force, well, how? What's the source of the energy that causes the emanation of this, you know? And yeah. I, no theologian or, or religious person could give you an answer. It's like, well, it's, it's just, you know, from Satan. Like, it's because of his influence. I'm like, okay, so he then is the source, and it's, is it embodied through something, or is it not? Like, what's the, where's home base, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Nobody can answer you, but yet it makes more sense like that, that, like, it's an intensity level. I remember, you know, if you look at, for example, um, like how children behave. Mm -hmm. I've seen kids do some fucking nasty shit to each other. Sure. They don't know what they're doing. Sure. Are they evil? Or is it just that they're undeveloped? It would make sense that they're undeveloped. They don't know what they're doing, and there's a certain level of ignorance associated with their action, and that that then in a way excuses them. When you get into – it gets kind of be hairy when you start looking at like really, truly kind of evil things, if you will, like, you know – sex trafficking or abuse or like sure. murder or things like that. It's like, well, at what point does it cross over and become something? It's like, well, what if it doesn't? What if it's just that that is a really magnified example of their undeveloped nature of understanding what righteousness is? Sure. Or, or their choice. It might. Right. There, there's a possibility it's underdeveloped and there's a possibility they just choose it. Like, you know, yeah. really good people that have gone through tough times and right. like lied, cheat, stole, like did all of these things. They were a developed person right. that fell into this lower vibration, this lower frequency, if you will, and just decided to stay there because they didn't know how to get out or they didn't get it out of their head or they just enjoyed being really angry and then complained about I it. I love that you say that, dude, because people do find joy in base emotions. Mm -hmm. they, they, they support their own addictions because they think that it's a part of their identity in a weird way. It's like, no, 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 that's just as much of a distraction for you as pornography or drugs would be. Yeah. It's, a, it's a cocktail of emotional drugs is what you're tapping into with your yeah. little sorry that you've got for yourself there. Yeah. Really crazy, dude. Yeah, wow. especially if somebody gets addicted to other people's responses to their anger. Yeah. Like if I get really angry with you and then you back down and then I come back to you with a little light and say, oh, I'm really sorry, and you give in, that's just a drug feeding into it. They're like, oh... I know how to get a response out of you. I just need to drop into this vibration, be extremely angry, and I can get you to do whatever I want. It's a drug. Dude, human relationships are fascinating, aren't they? It's, yeah, the human relationship in the mind. It's crazy. Yeah, well, the one we have with ourselves. Yeah, 100%. Starting there, you know? 100%. And this sort of like, you know, manifestation of relationships outside of ourselves. I've done a lot of air quotes today. I think I'm going to stop. I'm not going to okay. do any more air quotes as a part of our conversation. By the way, Greg W. Anderson... <laughs> Welcome to the show, man. Hey, thank you. For thank me, you. Uh, welcome back, because you were on my old show, yeah. Rules of Success, back when you were peddling uh, The Selfish Divorce, your book. 
Absolutely. How many books have you written, dude? Uh, well, I published one. I've written three. There's okay. two that are just sitting on my drive going, I'm just not ready for them yet. Okay. They just don't feel like it, like I completed it. And then I was like, Dude, you're such an interesting person to me because you're clearly like you're associated with Lions Not Sheep with their NFT project. Yeah. You're also associated with like the development of the new app that's going to be there. Like you're such a curious person to me. Like I wouldn't, I'd fucking not be surprised at all if you like came out with like a Texas Hold'em book. It's like, sure. Greg Anderson <laughs> is going to teach you how to play. Well, of course he would. Why not? Yeah. He's going to teach you how to get in centered with yourself, get rid of your tells. He's going to show you how to yeah. read the river and the plop. Like, yeah, you're, you're <laughs> speaking my language. It doesn't matter what topic. It's the yeah. same thing. It's the same system that I follow. Yeah. That's true, dude. There's so much like similarity in just how to overcome and succeed, no matter what it is. That's that's great, man. Yeah. So, so what have you been? What's been your passion lately that you've been a part of? Um, well, you mentioned lions, not sheep. About you know, Sean Whalen and I have been business partners and friends on and off for like 16 years, and we did some work together when lions, not sheep was first launched, and then we separated. There just wasn't enough momentum at that moment, and I was just getting ready to leave. Right, I was going to take my sabbatical from. You're gonna head down to Machu Picchu or wherever it was. Yeah, it it was pretty nuts. You're gonna go see the Lamanite ruins, I guess is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. There's actually 27 different places that I went and studied while I was down there. Okay, and I'd go find a family and I just learned from them around something that had to do with a pyramid complex, whether it was Earth or, or still under Earth, right? And I'd just go learn from them. And so, a lot of their stuff was Lamanite. Some. But uh, it, uh, it, they, taught me, they taught me how a civilization can run for 3,000 years, which is, I don't know, look, man, we're a couple hundred years into this, and it's yeah. about to explode. Yeah. So, do you think a part of that, what you learned with a civilization being able to last that long, has to do with uh, uh, underdeveloped ways of communication mass, in, mass, in mass, where, like, how... It was all scrolls and writing and sure. come to the thing, and there was a lot more community. Sure. And it wasn't like, oh, Twitter, this guy said what? Like, <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't any of that. Yeah. There, the other part about it is currently, like, the, the humans, we, we develop by this thing underneath our eye called the mirror neuron, and it, it lets me see what you're going through, and I can learn. If you're hammering a nail, I can learn how to hammer by watching you. I don't have to do it, right? If you're an abusive father... A child is learning how to be an abusive father by this mirror neuron and studying it, and also by the words that we hear, right? And so right now, we have data coming from us from the moment that we're born in lots of different ways. And for the most part, humans don't understand that, you know those voices in your head that drive you crazy? They're not really Never yours. had them. Okay. Just kidding. <laughs> That good voice, bad voice. I've got voice. a tabernacle choir up there, buddy. Like, Dude. they're singing harmony. It's awesome. It's All so All of them are somebody in your past told you something, and you go, oh, that's what that means. And so as we learn, we go to school, and they say, here's a textbook on how to do math, so in the future, you can revert back to what you learned in school to find the answer, right? So that means that everything that you agreed when you grew up and learned, that's now your belief system. Yeah. And so when you come up, you butt up against that, and you hear your mom or an uncle, or an old business partner, or an old friend, or high school coach, or whatever that is, you, you start to hear that it's their thoughts, their words, and you, you're just going back into the Rolodex. Well, back in the day, they didn't do that. Like, the, the, the highest amount of, um, call it awakening, you're an ascended master, you're a guru. The way that you get there is by having no thoughts. It's not by overpowering bad thoughts with good thoughts. It's by learning how to control the mind enough 
so that there's just nothing. Is that possible? To have possible. no thoughts? To no thoughts. It's tough. But See, it's I've heard that conceptually, and I've, I've been practicing meditation in some form for you know, two decades. Yeah. I've never dived in enough to where I can even remotely say that I've had more than just a couple seconds of just no thought. Mm. Yeah. There's always, it's always like some sort of thing like where it feels like this dance, like, okay, I'm going to focus on my breath so the shot, thoughts shut up, and then I do that, but I'm still focusing on something, and there's still a, a focal point there, and I feel the stuff have it's, it's odd, but to have no thoughts, dude, like without drugs? <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's a process. Personally, I call, the, I call this stalking shadows. It was... Ducking shadows? <laughs> excuse me, stalking? Stalking shadows. shadows. Okay. Right? So hold on. S-T-A-L-K or S-T-O-C-K? Um, the first stalk like or stalk, like oh. I'm stalking my Got prey. It. Got it. Okay. Right. And basically what it means is, is you drop into meditation and you have that thought and you track back where you got it from. Where was the inception of that thought? Like all the way back, who gave it to you? What was the scenario around it? Was it good? Was it bad? And in that moment, once you stalk the inception, since your memories only live in your mind, you have an opportunity there to either change it release it. You can't delete thoughts, but you can go, oh man, that was from when I was seven. Do you think that I actually have the best perspective of what that situation was at seven? Probably not. Well, maybe it's this, like maybe I'm going to take something that I remember being a negative and I'm just going to shift the words that I remember because it's just that easy to change your memory. It's just that easy for time travel. You just go back to the moment, tweak it. Are you familiar with something called uh, uh, timeline therapy? I'm not, but it's going to sound very similar just from the words. Okay, so, um, and I've talked about it openly on this podcast. I, I've invested heavily in this uh, self-development uh, group called Upgrade. Okay. And it's ran by a guy named William Lamb, and he is one of like 20 people in the world that has this level of mastery when it comes to neuro-linguistic programming and helping you to you know, master your subconscious, basically. And he has, what I'm hearing from you as you describe this, it sounds like a real parallel track to timeline therapy. Timeline therapy is basically like through hypnosis, you can go back and relive certain aspects of your development relative to emotional well-being and then root out the, the key emotion that was implanted during mm -hmm. that moment and then go through different stages in your life and have that no longer be affect you. And then you come out of this therapy and you literally feel like a new person. Yeah. Additionally, there's another thing that they do um, that sounds very similar to what you're saying as well. That's called, it's, he, he calls it, I believe it's the resolution formula, mm. where... As an example, it's more of like a, like a personal self-soothing, self-care exercise, if you will. Yeah. So let's say that you're having a, a moment where you're really struggling with something in your life. You're at full resistance to it. You're irritated. You're triggered, mm -hmm. what have you. Well, the resolution formula would have you ask yourself like, okay, so what am I experiencing in this moment? Like you have to quantify what the emotions are of the moment. Yeah in totality, like you're being comprehensive and saying, well, I'm feeling this over here. I'm feeling this over here. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling jealous. I'm feeling overlooked. I'm feeling all these things. And then, and then the second part of it is you ask yourself, well, when did I start to believe that that's the case? Right. And it allows you to start to, to go back and source original experiences that kind of programmed you, if you will, in those moments to now have a new belief that is like the princess and the pea. It's like that little pea underneath the mattress and it's all the way at the top you're experiencing mm -hmm. this. And then there's a few other things that, that you walk through after the fact that, that are more involved that allow you to release it and yeah. to change your belief and to release the, you know, the thoughts about that. 
very interesting stuff when it comes to the mind, you know? hundred percent. And how did that course and how that program, what, how, what did you get out of that? What were your results? My res- dude, my business has gone up more than I ever thought it would. I've, I've increased my network. I've increased my influence, my, mo- my visibility. It's affected my comedy career. It's affected my business. It's affected my level of financial result. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I've noticed in people relative to their growth and success is that, well, this is the way that it was described to me, and I'll, I'll share this here. So basically, so your subconscious mind, in a very remedial sense, is uh, it runs everything, right? Right. And even to the point of like energetically communicating with the world outside to manufacture and create scenarios for you to which it's communicating that you want. Yeah. Right. It can attract relationships in that can help a certain outcome come, good or bad, hundred percent, or supportive or non-supportive. I guess instead of taking the morality out of it, it can um, attract opportunities that can make it to where you want to succeed. But the doorway into the subconscious mind is the conscious mind, mm-hmm. and the conscious mind is let's use a ship metaphor or a sailing metaphor. The conscious mind is the captain while the subconscious mind is the crew. And the captain can tell the subconscious mind what to do, but the subconscious mind is always listening. So if the captain is like, you're doing declarations and you're doing rah-rah stuff and everything, but then you get done with that and you're lying and you're not holding yourself to account and you're living in a way that's out of alignment and all this, like you're, the crew is like, fuck this guy, dude. He yeah. doesn't, he, he says he wants us to do this. We're going to do that. <laughs> yeah. So getting those two things in alignment to where like you are, you know, actually um, incongruence is the way that William says it with those two things, you get on this like super highway of high speed results. Yeah. And I really, I really experienced that through that program where I was like, I, it, I started off with this exercise where like I had to make a list of a hundred material items that I wanted to experience and then a hundred of experiences that I wanted to have. Mm. And he kind of warned us when we went through this, he said, you know, you're going to get to 30 or 40 and be done because you're going to, at that point, start listening to the dialogue in your head. So it's like, I start writing these things out and it's like, I get to the point where it's like, I want a private plane. <laughs> And then I'm like, well, why do you need a private plane? Why can't you just fly co- or private? What? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why am I deciding that that's an important thing that I would want to like downplay that? You know. Yeah. And there's a lot of learnings in that experience. And then you know the same thing with the other side where you're like choosing experiences. But when it happens, and you're able to let kind of shed that sort of lack of worthiness or that ceiling on what you're able to do, shit comes at you in a hurry, dude. Yeah, I've shared this experience on this podcast before, and I'll, I'll share it again briefly just for you. Where I had this thing on my, um, I had on my list of experiences. I wanted to fly private to a major sporting event with my friends and have full access to the whole thing and enjoy the time. Right. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this on my list. Short version is because everybody's heard it, and you probably already heard it too. Within four days, I get a call from our friend Sean saying, "Hey, you want to fly with me out to Indianapolis? I get full access to the paddock. I'm at the, I'm on, I'm on race row. Like I'm, right. I, I have a picture of kissing the bricks in Indianapolis. Yeah. I'm up on the podium, and I'm like, holy fucking shit! Yeah. In my mind, I had created that in the box of like the NBA Finals or the Super Bowl. Or something. Sure, Indianapolis Motor Speedway is just as storied as any of that stuff. And I was like, wow, okay. So my learning was I don't get to attach it to having to have a certain thing if I describe what I want and the universe provides it. And it started being like, I realized sometimes exactly what I want looked differently than I thought, but it was exactly what I wanted. Right. So that was what came out of all that. Yeah. hundred percent. It's just being open to the scenario of whatever's yeah. coming. Well, and there's a, there's a, a part of it too, where I was involved in the choice of this scenario. Sure. So not just being open. It was like, so I had to choose like, this is what I want. It, it's like a, it's like a pointer. I'm like, I'm pointing at it, That's what I want. And then I have to realize, like, well, it might take me 
It might be one of those weird squirrely wiffle balls that finally hit the target. Yeah. But it's going to hit that. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so let's, let's back up a little bit. Sure. So you went to Mexico for three years, studied with old things. <laughs> yeah. Did you live like a, like a monk at that time? Did you, were you, I mean, we're talking, I've, I've been to places in South America where there's not a lot of technology. First world is like an afterthought, like sure. you're in the woods sure. and, or, and I can't imagine that if you're, you know, doing all the studying that you're like living the five-star life at this point. No, it, a few years before this, I started like traveling and I went and lived with monks because I wanted to learn their meditation practice. Why? Because I wanted How does to that, learn. I know, but, but, but dude, for like, I want to break that part down. Okay, cool. Like, I've been around you enough socially and like your friend where I'm like, yeah. how the fuck? Like, I've never had a moment where I'm like, you know what I need to do today, bro? I'm going to go fucking hang out with some monks. You know yeah. what? Like, that's never been. So I'm like wondering how some, because you're successful and you're, sure. you know, charismatic and, and, and accomplished and all that. Like, how do you get, how does that transition from being just something a curiosity where like, no, I'm going to do it? I fell in love with the thought processes of these like secret sciences, this information that the world wasn't giving me. Okay. That these old, you know, pillars of society knew something. Yeah. And I wanted to go find out. Dude, what this it sounds was. like the first three minutes of the movie The Secret. <laughs> it pretty much is. I was found the secret scrolls of the it's, ancients. It's something like that. <laughs> But it was, it was, it's this unfolding because what's really cool is, you know, I, I told you I grew up Mormon I, and yeah. I didn't go to church and then I went back, was serving the bishopric and did these things, right? Really? Yeah. I worked in the temples. I did all the things. How old are you when this was happening? 33. Wow. 30, 33. Okay. okay. And I go, okay, cool. Like I'm here and I'm not resonating with the full message. What else is there for me? And so somebody suggested something about Buddhism. And so I picked up the Dhammapada and I read it and when I read that book about Krishna, right, uh, the blue Jesus, the, the blue Hindu, G- yeah. he's just blue, he's the Hindu, the Hindu Jesus, yeah, um, from a different planet. It's a great story too. But when I read that, I actually understood. See, Christ. hold on. If that's the case, why does Scientology get such a bad rap, dude? <laughs> if we got blue Jesus from a different planet, why don't we have like the Thetans? Why can't that be real? Anyway, please. It could, it could. It just it just happens to be that the 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 Buddhist religion is like what three to five thousand years old. Scientology yeah, is Ron L. Hubbard is like the biggest liar of our century. Yeah, like, basically. it just happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I fell in love with reading these. Religious text. Did you ever see the movie Arrival with Amy Adams? Yeah, I did. That was a great and, movie. In that movie where the aliens came down and they all gave a part of the whole and you had to have the whole in order to understand the message. Yeah. So I said, cool, maybe this is what religion is about, is that each one of these major religions holds a pillar, a bit of data, and it's my job or anybody's job to go study, pull, assimilate what's good, get rid of the trash, then go study, pull, assimilate and so I pretty much studied every major religion on the planet. Like, so what does that look like, deeply. studying them? Like, where do you go? How do you get this information? Where do you see, like, oh, I got to read that book? Like, what's the process of, like, being able to study that? Because I'm sure it's not like you're just going to the library in Alexandria and pulling scrolls and shit. No, I mean, some of it was going to stay with monks. Yeah? Right? It was okay. like, I'm just going to go to the source of what I believe is the source and learn what I can. Um, studying old texts That's took so a while. crazy. Studying old books took a while to find originals because some of them are thousands and thousands of dollars in order to buy and obtain yeah. to study. Um, Can you find any of them online? Are they digitized at all? Uh, not really. Not okay. the older versions. Maybe anything after like 
the late 1800s okay. would be digitized or can be. Um, but so it was that. And so I just kept going and I'd study something. I'd go f like I wanted to study Buddhism. So I just bought the Buddhism books that they said that would, meditated with it. I talked to people of Buddhism. I wanted to learn Hinduism. So I studied who the Hindu gods were. And then I went to a Hindu grand or opening of a temple and like had, went through their like uh, celebrations and just experience as much like your hundred list of experiences, just kept experiencing more and going, okay, cool. I have the ability to decide what's powerful for me and what's not. And any one of these religions has something amazing about it. So I'm just going to keep assimilating. And that process took me to a place where I'm like, I'm pretty successful. I lived here in the U S you know, we, we share a, a common love for the Ferrari, California. We do. So I'm living in South Jordan, Utah. I have a 15-person Range Rover limousine that threw the best parties in town. The Ferrari, two Range Rovers, the car. And I kept going, man, I think there's more. Like, I'm not necessarily happy. I'm kind of stressed out about this. And every time I would try to date a woman or come into a situation, I would hear all the voices tell me who I need to be. You need to stand a certain way. You need to project a certain thing. You need to have the right watch. You need to have the car or nobody will love you. And I was like, whoa, that can't be right. So it was kind of this unfolding process. I, I went into my closet and I have like 150 t-shirts, 100 t-shirts, something like that, right? Sure. Just you collect them. And I walked in and I just, I started touching them. And I said, what do you remind me of? The physical thing. And if it reminded me of a place or a person, it was gone. And I just started deleting things out of really? my closet because I wanted to remove the subconscious <coughs> connection to that person or that thing, right? You walk in and, and subconsciously you see that, you know, shirt from wherever, uh, that time you fought with that girl or the thing that you did or whatever that was, and you see it and your mind grabs a hold of it. And we only have so much energy to operate every day. And if we continue grabbing to the old, then how do we evolve into the new? So I just started deleting it. And then I went through my house and I'm like, I don't have a thing in here that I picked. This was like, uh, some of it was from a divorce. After a divorce, I hired a you know, fantastic woman to come in and decorate my house. I didn't choose anything. And I started realizing everything. I was like, man, I'm, I'm getting rid of it all. And it happened to be at this time, I'm dating this woman from Russia. And she's a legitimate princess from Russia. Not just like a princess. She's Anna like, Karenina, you yeah. got this one, okay. And she couldn't get into the States. So I traveled with her to like Bali and we stayed in different places. And, and I'm going, well, I have this thought. Like, I just want out of everything. I'm going to sell the cars. I'm going to sell the things. And I just want to go nomadic for a little while. And she had said, well, I'll, I'll come. And I was like, that sounds fantastic because I'm kind of scared. Like, I'm going to a foreign country that I don't, I don't know the language. And... I'm going there because I keep having these thoughts and feelings that I should. Nobody's telling me to do this. So she came down with me, and it was really fantastic because the reason I stayed down there longer, we, 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 we stayed with each other and traveled for about a month. And at the end of the month, we we're like, hey, we're great. Like, we're perfect. There's nothing wrong with you, nothing wrong with me. We're just good. See ya. <laughs> but there was a moment where we're traveling through this little town on this way to this pyramid structure, and there's a military... Um, a Mexican mil mil military professional that's standing on the corner and he looks at me and he reaches at his gun and I start to get a little nervous in this moment and he looks at her and she smiles at him and his, he just smiled the biggest brightest smile and I thought oh man here I am 
aviator glasses, lion's knot sheep hat, big bushy beard. I look like a drug dealer. <laughs> He's looking out to protect everybody else. And in that moment, everything shifted because of that experience that I had with her where she could show me that somebody wasn't out just to try to kill me. And so when we ended, I stayed. I just said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue going through these processes. Um, I'm going to continue learning. I'm going to continue. And there, there was some really cool things that happened in between. I happened to be up in Southern California right after I left, maybe like six months. A friend of mine says, hey, I'm going to stop by this woman's house, and I'd like you to come and meet Grandma. And everybody called her Grandma G. And in the Hindu faith and the Hindu tradition, if you have J-I behind your name, it's, it's kind of like guru, right? You're G. And she takes me to this woman's house, and she's like, she's next level. And the spiritual communities, with like channeling and things, she's like epic. We talked for a little while, and as I was leaving, she said, hey, son, do you mind if I call you once you leave? Like, can I get your number? I said, sure. So she calls me. I, get, well, I go back to Mexico. I'm there. She calls me up, and she says, well, so you've been trying to learn something for many lifetimes now, and you're right here at the precipice. I'd like to teach you what you're missing. I said, okay. Like, I've been looking for a teacher to teach me something that I couldn't get from a book or couldn't get it. Most of these traditions and the, the old traditions, they'd only teach it. Um, uh, what it was like, it was called lips to ear, only person to person, right? Guru to teacher. It was never written down. And so she said, cool, I'm in it. I want to teach you this, but it, it comes with a price. I was like, okay, what is that? She goes, well, you're going to make me three commitments and you're going to live these commitments for the next three years. And you might live them for the next 12 years because it just depends on you. It's not a it's not a specific time. It's your evolution. I was like, okay, what does that mean? She goes, number one, you can't cut your hair for three years. I'm like, cut my hair. She says, yeah, the hair on the top of your head. You can't cut it for three years. I'm like, whoa, why? And what she told me and what I got out of it were two different things. Um, but the first one was that, you know, trees, which exhale our oxygen, and we exhale their, what, you know, what they breathe. So they're the other half of our lung. They grow the roots in the ground, which connects them to all the other trees, and that's their communication. Well, in almost every religion in, in old history, they wouldn't cut a child's head or hair until they were like five or six years old because they would let it fully mature, which takes three years, and it created this sensitivity around them. I'm like, okay, that sounds nice. What I actually really got out of doing that, well, I'll finish this one, and then I'll tell you that. So I said, okay, cool, I can do that. And she goes, well, the next one. No drugs, no alcohol, no plant medicine, no aspirin, nothing for three years, like nothing. And I had, you know, played in psychedelics quite a bit um, going through this process. I'd done all of these things, I'd traveled to these places, but I had never really just been sober Greg for years, like with nothing. I knew what it was like to be drunk Greg for three years in a row, sure. <laughs> but not the other. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll give that a try. I mean, not a try. I'll do it. And she goes, the final one, no sex of any kind for three years. Not with self, not with another person, you nothing. Can't nut for three years? Not for three years. Jesus Christ. No wonder you're so calm. Oh, dude. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. <laughs> so I thought about it for a little while, and I came back, and I said, okay, you know, I'll do this. And then once a month, I would fly back to Southern California. We'd go through some teachings and some training. She would send me back down to California. And I would practice all of these different things, not just her studies, but other ones. One of my favorite authors, his name is Luhan Mattis, and he teaches like quantum physics level um, 
materialization or manifestation. Okay. It, he doesn't use those terms, very um, analytical, clinical, but just really super high level. And so I hired him to be my coach while I was down there. So there were times where I had an apartment just outside of Tulum that wasn't five star. It was in complete poverty. I learned to live in a bedroom the size of this or a whole apartment the size of this room, which I always was the guy that had to have a bigger house. Yeah. And so nothing, very minimalistic. Um, and then other times when I lived with the families, I dirt floor, like jungle style. Sounds like my mission. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you go on your mission? Brazil. Yeah. Southern Brazil. Yeah. So you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have some cities that have some things, and you go out a mile, and it's a completely different ballgame. And you go out two miles, and they're shacks with no no water, no plumbing. How long did that take you to adjust to that lifestyle? Um, it probably took a couple of months. At first, it was exciting. At first, it was nerve-wracking, and then it's exciting. And then it kicks in, and, and there's no women. There's, you're, I'm growing my hair out, which meant for the first time in my life, I wasn't worried about what I looked like. So I could go wild and crazy and let it grow and do these things where before... You know, I'm clean, I'm cut, I'm proper. And I couldn't recognize my own face in the mirror, which also meant that I could become anybody I wanted. Like, the moments that you're confused in life, I don't know who I am, man, those are the best moments in time because you get to create what's next. If you know exactly who you are and exactly what you look like and exactly what this thing is, you can only be that thing. I've always found that to be a very curious answer when in conversation somebody's like, no, I know exactly who I am. Yeah. But do you, though? Who really does? Yeah, no. It's a shifting landscape 100% of the time. You brought it up when you brought up the Satan conversation, This, and then we started talking about this, this frequency of light. Like, yeah. The very best thing that I could possibly be, if somebody was to ask me, hey, who are you? I would say, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I, I read a book recently, and they, they – maybe I think it was uh, The Untethered Soul. I was mm-hmm. reading that book, and he has that thing where he breaks it down, and he's like – I am the one who sees is basically the only real way that you can truly answer that question. Like, who are you? Yeah. Cause everything else is associated with some sort of contextual identity. That's not yeah. real. And if you're nothing, it means tomorrow I can be this a, and then the next day I can be B. I can be light. I can be dark. I can write books. I can be the chief technology officer for lions, not sheep. I can launch another, NFT project, I can launch a third software, which is just now coming out, which runs Lions Not Sheep Den that we white labeled to give everybody else. I can do all of those at once because I'm not one of them. Yeah, those are just what you're doing. It's who I am today. Doing being... The conversation of identity is very interesting to me. Going back into that upgrade conversation of the work that I've done there, it's a it's a big one. Mm-hmm. Like how you see yourself. Well, there's like a this tree. It's like at the bottom of it is your your, your identity. Like how you see yourself then governs your values. Mm-hmm. And then your values govern your beliefs and your beliefs then govern your behavior. And so if you actually want to change behavior, you start at the root. Change yeah. how you see yourself and then that will change what your values are. And the value that you – once values are like a non-negotiable thing for a lot of people. Like if you are living outside of your values, mm-hmm. you will know it immediately. Yeah. You will feel it immediately. And one of two things will change. You will feel a disconnect and a, a dissonance, like a vibrational dissonance in everything you do, or your values will change. Yeah. 
you'll like morph into this new person. That's what happens with people that, you know, continually do things they know they, that don't serve them. Mm-hmm. They become the thing that they're, but going back to that, um, understanding the power of identity and, and realizing it's a choice. You know, as I listen to you talk about that, it makes me wonder if the concept of reincarnation didn't start as an actual like life and death, new lifetime type thing. It started as like epics within a, a life. Sure. It's like I'm reincarnating now into a new person. You're, you're sharing a description of like looking at yourself in the mirror and not recognizing who you are. You're a new guy at that point. Yeah. That's new Greg. Yeah. It's a new physical manifestation of what you've never seen before. It's a new set of values because you don't give a shit about if you're shaved or not or what's going on with your hair. You're just like, this is me. And yeah. that, that then bleeds into every decision that you make about yourself and what you do. Yeah, 100%. I lived for a while. Like, I, I only wore white T-shirts. And I wore, like, you know, earth-colored shorts or something. Yeah. And what I learned was that the, all the color sensations, what, like, moods, you look at a shirt and you're like, ah, I'm in that mood. I wanted none of it. I just wanted to be blank for a few years to be able to just then decide what that next piece is. And you brought up something a little while ago. It's a really cool analogy of, um, you know, the conscious mind is the captain, the subconscious mind is the crew. And, and you know, bringing them into alignment. And then you brought up the fact that, you know, in order to change anything, you have to find the root. So yeah. many people just don't physically understand that the subconscious mind was created. It wasn't given to you. You're not inherit, you know, you don't inherit those thoughts. You inherit the unconscious mind, the thing that connects us all. But this one up here is all about lessons and communications and learning how to walk and all of those things. And so, yeah, it's bringing them into alignment, but it's also removing anything that's not powerful. And that helps shift things faster and faster and faster. Like when you said you went through your experience and now money and things are just flowing because you're just removing all of this, like, you know, these tethers to the ground and you're a jet engine that's holding you back and you're just cutting them and removing them and taking off. Yeah. The, the doorway into those experiences and that sort of shift in result and, and awareness, uh, it's not very glamorous. It's really overly simple, really. Yeah. It was like, uh, I just, had to be like one of the one of the things that was an immediate shift was I started noticing how I used the words easy Mm. and hard Mm -hmm. and instead of predetermining through speech by describing it or declaring it that it would be easy or hard I stopped doing that and I started realizing that okay so in the past I have said this is going to be hard based off of effort that I was going to be required to put forth or problem solving or complexity. Yeah. It's like, well, requiring effort and needing to problem solve and it being complex doesn't mean that it's hard. Yeah. It means that it requires complexity and problem solving and effort. Okay. Sure. Those are three different things. Those are way less intimidating than the word hard. Sure. And so I started like really reframing how I would see it and easy as well. I started using the word easy more. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. Yeah. This is going to feel effortless. Yeah. And, and, I don't know, man. It, it kind of separated the herd in a lot of ways because I found myself on an energy, and I, I recognize this is something with you too. Like, 
you find yourself energetically like really vibing with certain people mm-hmm. and others that you might have vibed with in the past. You're like, fuck this guy, dude. Yeah. Like I am out. I yeah. cannot deal with this. Right. So, now. So and it's a, it's a, it's an energetic thing. It's like two notes on a piano that just go, yeah. ah, it's like that, just yeah. that dissonance in your ear. Like I can't deal. Yeah. And that's very real. It's very real. Yeah. People blame it on, well, I just don't like their personality. No, no, like energetically, you're not vibing. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause we right now we're using the words energy in a different context. Five years ago, if we would say, oh, we're not vibing with your energy, you were weird. Yeah. Like, you were whacked this out. fucking hippie. Yeah, like, what are you <laughs> talking about, energy? Take another toke, stoner. Yeah. <laughs> and now we study, like, quantum physics and particle physics, and we know that everything in this universe that we can experience or, or measure is a frequency. It means it's an energy, yeah. and they just, all the things bind together in certain ways. How and why, we don't know yet, yeah. but they do. So everything is an energy. So I, yeah. I love this conversation. And also I love that people are starting to wake up or utilize different words like your, um, you know, hard or easy. Mine was should or get to. I should go to the gym today. And that was a negative. Like that's a downer. You should go do this and change that word to get to get yep. to get to. I get to go to the gym today. I get to work today. Same with need. Same thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And these small, in the neuro-linguistic programming, you know, mapping, these small words can, it sounds so silly, but those small adjustments can change the trajectory of your life in massive ways. Massive ways. So different. Truly massive ways. And, and the, there's a piece of this that I think that is, is worth bringing up in that in order to even conceptualize or, or go down this sort of rabbit hole of you know, the concept of energy and quantum physics and manifestation and how your mind plays into it and everything, you have to be willing to push against like internal doctrine and dogmas that you've created. I've noticed, because I too, you know, I I grew up um, as a part of that uh, Mexican clan called the El Diaz group. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I, I, dude, I didn't, I didn't step out of line until later in my life. I went on a mission, um, Hadn't touched alcohol till I was 31, was a virgin when I got married. I mean, I was textbook. Yeah. And it kind of sucked because there was a lot of experiences that I wish I'd have had and that I said no to out of fear. Um, but going forward, I had this experience where, um, you know, I was I was actually excommunicated when I got divorced. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently they frown on you fucking a new girl when you're still married to your old one, you know? Like I, guess, I guess so. Fucking church, bunch of fuddy-duddies. Anyway, um, <laughs> So I got excommunicated, but it was still very important to me. The church was very important. So I still would go to church, and it was like this sort of like shame exercise for me. Yeah, I'd go there because I couldn't participate, I couldn't pray, I couldn't teach, I couldn't raise my hand or give comments, but I was there literally as like a shadow. And it was this weird sort of commitment to my own shame that mm-hmm. I look back now and go, what the hell were you doing, dude? That was so not necessary. And then um, I started to want, like, the, enough time had passed and enough things had happened where I, I felt the desire to get my, as they call it in the Mormon church, the your blessings restored, where I could mm. go to the temple again and participate. And that was after my rebaptism. I ended up getting rebaptized. But the rebaptism process was, was really transformative for me as well because I started seeing holes in the game. Mm-hmm. Because, first of all, when I got excommunicated, the stake president, this is an absolute true story. The stake president put his arm around me as I was walking out, having been just robbed, my membership of the church removed, saying, 
we're really glad this happened to you. Men like you don't need to be associated with the church. <laughs> and I was like, fuck you, dude. Like, I was so annoyed at the yeah. arrogance of this fucking guy, right? Yeah. And so that led me on this path of, like, trying to, like, counterbalance this sort of idea. It's like, well, I still feel like I have a relationship with God. My relationship with this, his church, I air quoted again, yeah, yeah. is dog shit. What do I do? And I started thinking about things differently. Anyway, I got to where I wanted to be rebaptized. It was a very tumultuous experience because my ex-wife now had to be involved in the process. Oh. And with everything that I had chosen to believe about Christ and the atonement and everything, like this was a gut punch for me. I'm like, really, motherfucker? Like, really? Like, me and JC need to involve this bitch? Like, what? And I ended up getting rebaptized, and it, and it kind of started me on this thing. And I ended up reading this. I, I got to this point where I was, it was almost time for my blessings to be restored. Mm -hmm. We're talking two, three months away. I read this book called Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh, book one, yeah. it's the first one. Oh, book one. Because he's got five of them or whatever. Yeah, the seven. Yeah, there's seven now. I didn't seven. know about the other two. Because I've read Friendship with God. I've read the first three of it. It's, he's a great, great yeah. author and a very uh, yeah. interesting human. I'm reading this, and I'm, I'm having this description in this book. For anybody that's spiritual in nature or having questions about religion, I absolutely recommend reading that book. Yeah. It will change your life in a good way. Like, sure. I'm reading this book and having explanations about God and spirit touch me spiritually just as strong as any temple ceremony had. Right. And I was like, okay, this is, what does this mean? Like, I'm, I, I hacked the system. I'm not supposed to feel this way unless I'm in that room. Mm -hmm. Why? And he really broke down as well this concept between like your sponsoring thought being that when you break everything down to motivation, like the underneath it all, foundational motivation, there's only two motivating factors, either fear or love. Yeah. And when you realize the source of what that is, it helps you to gauge better your decisions and everything. Well, it was the first time I started looking at the church and being like, huh, what if, what if it's great and it's full of shit? Mm -hmm. What if it's both? What if it could be a tool for helping people achieve righteousness and community and for achieving self-awareness and, and creating a relationship with deity while being nonsense? Mm -hmm. And that dichotomy kind of blew me away. I'm like, is that possible? <laughs> and I'm reading this book. He's like, it's absolutely possible. I'm like, okay. So I start drinking at that point. Okay. Um, I start making some better money at that point. I'm involved in real estate. And I'm being honest with my ecclesiastical leaders about this. And they're like, yeah, yeah we, we need you in the church. Like, I'm not worried about this stuff. Go. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I go get my blessings restored. I go downtown and it was the most underwhelming experience ever. And the whole bring it, the way I, why I bring it up is because that day gave me a new onus on my own accountability that I'd never had. Yeah. And I can now spot other people that have that and who don't. Mm -hmm. What had happened that day is I realized, oh, this is my experience. Mm -hmm. This is my journey. I'm not a member of some Helaman army of God bullshit. Like yeah. I am Bryce is the leader of Bryce's army. Yeah. Okay. And I started realizing like, okay, so I, I adjusted how I would go to church. I'm like, yeah. I still feel an emotional pull to church for whatever reason. Cool. So I would go. And then when I would feel the energy of what they're saying shift into fear, I'd bail. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not gonna put up with this. And, and when it was in love and support and growth. I'm there for the whole thing. So sometimes I would stay the whole three hours, and sometimes I'm out with a sacrament hymn, dude. Like, yeah. And it changed how I approach and look at the relationship that we have with God. It seems like a lot of people think that God places to them like this little Rubik's Cube to figure out how to have a relationship with God. Sure. And to me, I learned, like, you know, you have one already. Yeah. You just have to talk to him. Yeah. And then listen. 
Yeah. And he might show up in ways you don't expect. He might show up in a dirty joke. <laughs> he might show up in a porn video. Mm. Like he might show up in something you're reading about Hitler. Like there's all these ways that like messages of goodness and light and love can come to you. And I had never allowed myself to think that way. Yeah. You were told not to. Told not to. You but can't that's study anything you know, outside that. Something that I know, if you were involved in Lions Not Sheep experience from the beginning, like the whole idea of embracing your dark, mm-hmm. people are so scared of it. And that's where all the truth is. Yeah. It's still you. Still you. Yeah. Hundred percent. This is going to be interesting. So when when you went through the church pieces, do you know how the books of the Old Testament and then the Book of Mormon and things got decided? What was in there? I I've from what I've been told, I haven't studied with monks in Mexico yeah. or anything, but I my understanding is like in uh, you know two hundred years AD. Yeah, there was like a big conference and it was in Rome and three eighty four. Three eighty four, yeah. and it was yep. like Nicaea. The Nicaea Creed. Yep. Yeah, and they like they chose. Yeah, and it was completely <clears throat> political. Yeah. Like, well, we can't have this one. It's showing Jesus too much like this. We got to get that out of here. Oh, this is a woman? Fuck out of here with the yep. bitches. Like, it was it wasn't, It was. was completely political how they chose it. 100%. Yeah. So Emperor Constantine at the time was a pagan. And Rome and all of this was falling. Like, he knew his civilization was done. So he's looking around, and he's like, oh, man, these, these Christians over here, these people that believe in this Jesus guy, 300 years after he died, they're really passionate. Like, they're crazy motherfuckers. They're yeah. passionate. Yeah. I want to tap them. So he contacted all the cardinals in all of the regions that taught this, you know, over, over or back east and uh, in Europe. He said, hey, I want everybody to come here, and we're going to create one religion out of this. So he said, great. 50% of all the cardinals show up. They go through this. And mind you, Jesus has a ton of apostles, not just four. I think it was 21 that hung out with him. And some of them, like you said, were women. Yeah. And they have their own books, right? Yeah. So they took a look at it, and they said, or he said, okay, everybody, we're going to get in the room for the next two months. We're going to create this religion. So they do. And on the very last day, they say, okay, we're about ready to leave the you know, congregation or room or whatever it is. What I want you to do is I want you to leave the books that you believe that should make it into, which is now called the Holy Bible, um, on the top of your desk, and then leave. And we'll count... Sounds like mail-in ballot stuff to yeah, me. Yeah, no shit, right? We'll count. There's 81 million votes for Jesus. <laughs> we'll count them up, and then we'll decide. So the next day, they came back, and all of a sudden, almost all of the people voted on these four books. Well, people started freaking out. The cardinals are like, no, no, no. Like, you can't do this. I didn't vote for this. And so they said, okay, cool. Everybody that's in stays, and everybody that's out is out. And he excommunicated 50% of the entire, you know, uh, Christianity or Catholicism at that point and created these books. And they said, okay, cool. They ran it for about 50 years. Rome is still falling and they changed it again. And then at that moment, they made it illegal for a thousand years, a thousand years to own any religious text or have a picture of Jesus or any representation. The only way that you could know God is to go to the pastor well, that's why those the books were in Latin, right? And nobody spoke Latin at that point or read it unless you were highly educated. Yeah. Imagine we see what's happening right now with like the definitions of a recession, yeah. right? Where one word is changing and it's freaking communities out. Yeah. What if we had a thousand years to teach people what we wanted them to teach them? And that's where this came from. Well, that's one of the good things that I take from my, you know, experiences in the church is that I remember them talking about the importance of keeping a written record, mm-hmm. that it preserves the language. Yeah. That stuck with me. 
And it solidified being stuck with me the first time I had Snoop Dogg talk. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. We're going to have to like listen to this guy in 100 years. Like, like what does that mean? <laughs> oh, and then when you read Shakespeare, and it's like the beautiful like prose of you know mm. English language and how he would write it. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Like, like the whole concept of like forced dogma is curious to me because, you know, you get into, there's a lot of interesting books and, you know, about the Knights Templar mm -hmm. and about the idea of Mary Magdalene being, you know, you know, the Da Vinci, the, the movie, the Da Vinci Code is sure. about this, but like, there's a bunch of really great books that were, have been around for a long time, even before Dan Brown used yeah. those things to write the Da Vinci Code, talking about, you know, Mary Magdalene being Jesus's wife, mm -hmm. having a child. And like, there was act like the bloodline is legitimate that there's an actual existing familial DNA bloodline back from Jesus Christ. And that's the type of stuff that really is interesting to me because I could I could dude, I can buy into that. Sure. I can buy into the fact that this like charismatic leader that had this following that was self-proclaimed as the son of God, mm -hmm. that he might have you know a little side piece there. <laughs> Keep yeah. some thinking straight, you know? Yeah. And that might have made a baby or two now and then, you know? Yeah. All, all it really takes is to pick up the any of the, the Gnostic gospel books. These were books that the ones that didn't make it inside the Nicene Creed were all destroyed until something like 1975, somebody finds all of these books in a cave, right? All of the apostle books. Yeah. And there, Mary Magdalene has her own book. Yep. Um, and when you study her, this is so funny. So did you I, study her stuff? I did. Okay. Because I learned when I was growing up that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Jesus hung out with prostitutes, right? So I wanted to know where she that came from. She wasn't any of that, was she? No. She was just a lovely woman. That in, was... in like 700 AD, a pope gets pissed off that people keep talking about this Mary, this Mary Magdalene, and he's like, she's nothing but a prostitute, and it sticks. 300 years later, the church issues a written apology that they didn't mean that, but we still have that now. Yeah. This woman was rich. She was well-read, well-studied. Like, I bet oh, she was hot. Oh, I'm sure. Jesus ain't going to run up with some ugly no. girl. No. Son it, of God, you kidding me? Yeah, so her books are there. The Gospel of Thomas, he was Jesus' best buddy. That one's one of the better ones to read. Okay. Yeah. So what did you learn by reading Mary Magdalene's stuff? Um, what I learned from, from all of this, and, and even studies, I went and stayed in uh, Venice, Italy to study the sculptures okay. and like the history of this. And what I learned was the easiest way to manage a population is to take the feminine out of it and tell them that they're worthless, right? Because the women have always had more priesthood and more connection and divinity to God than the men. You go to the Egyptians, you go uh, Syrians, yeah. the women were the priests, right? But if I wanted to control that narrative, I would tell them they're worth less and tell the husbands that they're worth less and you need to beat them or you need to rape them or you need to do all the things that they were teaching people to do. And you could keep a population from growing, from overturning. And now, I, if I'm the only guy with the word of God and you have to come to me, and by the way, you need to give me 10%. Oh, that's corruptible to say the least. 100%. Yeah. It's horrible. So I really learned by reading these books that, that all of that belief was true. Okay. That that feminine, it's, it's super interesting because there's not a... Feminine and masculine is, the, is like good and evil, right? It's, it's just an energy on the same path. Yep. I can operate out of my feminine just as easy as I can operate out of my masculine. It took me a lot of years to figure out how to do that. And some women operate out of their masculine and feminine. This isn't a feminist conversation. 
This is just that if you just tell people to be a Neanderthal, I can control your lower cortex minds. Like I can control your croc brain. I can yeah. control your lower chakra systems. I can teach you sex. I can teach you addiction to porn. I can teach you. And when you're there, I can control you. That makes so much sense if you really like think about it. The power of the feminine over the masculine. Mm -hmm. Like when you think about, you know, let, let, let's let's shift into a different lane for a second, but yet kind of keep our mitts in this one as well. When you look at the psychology between the sexes in relationship, mm -hmm. and the power dynamic, mm -hmm. and the importance of sex, and the man traditionally being the one that pursues sex more, and the woman being the one that has to discern and, and then being, you know, the, the mother figure and the, the caretaker and the nurturer. And then you have the hunter and you have the gatherer. Like women, I've kind of been railing on this a lot. Women have way more power than they know. For sure. They're not willing to acknowledge it. They try, like there seems to be this sort of overall sentiment that like women are oppressed and they have like this victim thing about it. I'm like, show me where you might have to deal with some shit that nobody else has to deal with but come on ladies come on dude you if you guys would stop being bitches to each other you could rule the world <laughs> that's the one that's the one place where men have a leg up is like we can be logical and be like i'm not vibing with you now dude but we're good yeah where women they don't they have a hard time with that one yeah the most powerful women i currently know aren't and these are business leaders yeah like, women that are changing the face of the world doing things. Traditionally, we say, if you need to get something done, you need to operate out of your masculine. You need to be strong, you need to be powerful. But in those scenarios of these like really like magnetic women, they have a very masculine like a husband or somebody in their life that is like, masculine is like the containers. Like, I got your back, you know, you go be the ocean, you go take care of these things. But they're not operating out of their masculine. They're operating out of their feminine, and they're changing the scape of things. And so we stop this fight between masculine and feminine, who's better, who's not, because it's not either one. It's just what's more powerful for you to operate out of. And if they operate out of the feminine and they're like a really feminine woman, they all of a sudden stop steamrolling their husbands because some women have the ability to just pile drive over their husbands and push them down and push them down and push them down. They're like, you're weak. And maybe they had to do that out of necessity, maybe not. But in that scenario, that's a masculine creation. And these other ones that are coming out right now, oh, my gosh. Well, dude, what I'm hearing from you as you say that is that there, it's, a, it's, a, it's a true yin and yang. Like, it's a true container. Yeah. And that for a woman to, like, really be able to embrace and live in her feminine, she has to be anchored by masculine. Yeah. That there has to be a support of the masculine because the feminine is fiery and, and chaotic and and unpredictable and the masculine is rooted and it's sound and it's it's calm. more predictable it's calm and the combination of those two things is beautiful yeah and you know when you look at what's happening in our culture and not to put my tinfoil hat on by any means but it seems that there is a lot of like really deliberate sort of intention towards minimizing the masculine mm -hmm. and unnecessarily minimizing the feminine as well and, and like this weird sort of swap it's like they want dudes to be less dude and they want women to be less women mm -hmm. and that that sort of imbalance and chaos just fucks everything up yeah it causes relationships to be out of whack it causes businesses to be out of whack it causes people to not know who they are their identity it causes the the trek to alignment the decision to get clear to become more convoluted because you're believing in things that aren't real yeah 
Yeah, I love uh, I, one of the music um, channels I listen to on Pandora. I call it political rap, right? <laughs> um, Tom Holland. And there's, a, there's a, a song in here that he talks about, you know, the system, about if I can create a system that says that there's always two choices, there's always going to be a division between those two choices. You're red, you're blue. Go back to the matrix, and he said red or blue pill. Well, if I'm, a, if I'm Neo and I'm an actual programmer, I'm like, bro, I'm not choosing either one of your pills because the moment that I choose which you offer me, you control me. So if you're Republican or Democrat, the system controls you by choice. If you're masculine or feminine, the system controls you by force. If you're um, conservative or liberal, whatever it is, it's, it's control because every time you create a choice with polarity, and then tell the other people that that other choice is bad or wrong, you create situational division okay. that now is controllable. Okay. That hints at something we don't ever talk about, which is the one who holds the power in that scenario is the one offering the choice. Yeah. So who's off? So look around analytically, objectively, ask yourself who's offering me this choice when it comes to decisions you could choose relative to policy, to politics, to relationship, to yeah. money, to whatever. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Imagine the assumption that just happened where, you know, we had COVID and you have to wear masks. And then they came back and they said, oh, now you don't have to. The government's giving you the right not to wear a mask or not to get a vaccine or not. And what they did in that moment is they told you that they gave you your choice. And you're like, thank you. You're like, Motherfucker, you never had that option to give that in me in the first place. Do it in the beginning. What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, no. So this is the awakened state, right? It's not either choice. It's like, whoa, who's the programmer in this? And is either one of those choices right for me? And if it's not, I'm just going to back out until I understand it. And then I can make, you know, choices and decisions about what's right for me. Do you think in our lifetimes we'll ever, like, know the full truth of all this? Hmm. Because there's got to be a point, like we're 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 inching towards it, like we're getting more and more aware, yeah, of how things work. Well, I think that's why things are getting harder and harder outside. Because if you look at like polarity on a, a magnet on both sides, you know, the harder you push, the, yeah. the more they repel. And so, the more light, the more understanding, the more the people that don't want that to happen because of they're in control and they're scared about something. If you ever read Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. They talk about how like socialism and, and parts of communism believe that the only thing that there is in this life is owned property. And if you work for me, I own you because I own all of your hours. And so they're creating this. So they created these workforces and they've been managing these, these government systems for thousands of years. And the more we wake up and the more we say, no, 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 I'm not choosing either one, the harder it is. So whenever we start to like get a little bit farther away from the narrative of whomever wants to be in control is they freak out and they have to push harder, which pushes us farther apart, creates more light, just like the good and the evil. The more, the more shot, the, the more bright God shines, the more dark Satan has to shine because there's just no possibility other than the spectrum. Yeah. So I do think there'll be uh, something at some point. And I think it'll be in our lifetime. I think so. Too. I just don't know that if it's going to be really violent or one morning we just all wake up and go, whoa, were we asleep for the last 30 years? Well, dude, as, a, as a Mormon, like they have that concept of like crossing through the veil, you mm-hmm. know, like just that your, your awareness changed. Yeah. 
I think that's could probably that. what it could be. I remember in, in the book, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Mm-hmm. Eckhart Tolle. Sorry, that's, <laughs> that's my fire. <laughs> Eckhart Tolle in person. Anyway, so he has this part of the book. He talks about a Christ consciousness. Yeah. That we evolved, that like the second coming of Christ isn't actually like him floating down the sky. It's like this moment where we understand what he was about and we embody it ourselves and the collective sort of energy of that like raises humanity. Yeah. And just now I'm thinking about how in, you know, so conversations with God books, mm-hmm. I want to say it was the third one. He talks about, you know, a society of highly evolved beings. He calls yeah. them hebs. Awaken the species. Yeah. Was the title of that. It Conversations was. with God awaken the species. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He talks about like so what is the behavior of these evolved beings, you mm-hmm. know? And it was it was kind of froofy for me to believe because it 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 stretched my awareness of what was possible because it really did seem like some sort of weird utopian mm-hmm. like John Lennon's Imagine type thing. Like there's no religion, there's no money, it's everything. I'm like, fuck out of here, dude. <laughs> yeah. But the idea of like evolving to a certain point where we don't need things like competition. Yeah. Or we don't have a need for, you know, uh, thievery, like that. Right, right. Murder in order to or get anger. Yours. Yeah. Or like all these base level sort of emotions. That like the the evolution of our energy takes us out of those things like loneliness and and sad and and not that we don't experience polarity in our emotions it's just at a different level you know it's like we can have extreme happiness or just i'm kind of (laughs) happy sure instead of like being i'm all right now or i'm in the doldrums you know oh yeah i like that idea i think that 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 to me seems more real as far as us having some sort of true like gotcha like i get it moment Mm -hmm. than some robed dude I think a, a dude, is he coming? Is, oh, yeah. that's sweet. There's angels behind him out of the clouds. Is that oh, a, wait, he's on a spaceship. Is that a, Louis, is that a Louis robe since you're <laughs> hanging out with Virgil Abloh? Is that what's going on? <laughs> so I have a question for you because okay. what you were talking about just now just it brought this up. Do you remember a time or do you remember the time where it was just extremes? Extreme anger, extreme happiness, extreme love. Total for myself or yeah, for, for yourself, okay. for you. Do you remember going through that process? Um, yeah, I think it was, I think it was, uh, on my mission mm. as a, as a, as a missionary, specifically like an, an LDS missionary, it's a, it's the, it, there's, it's a unique experience like into anything anybody else could experience. You are a part of this system. You have leadership. There's like a you know mid-level leader, and then there's the mission president, and that mission president reports to the church leadership. And there's a directive, and there's rules, and there's an objective, and there's required behaviors, and there's all these very rigid sort of things that you're supposed to do. While at the same time, being in the prime of like I was 19, 20 years old yeah. at the time, um, still developing my own understanding of who I am, meeting these people. Being a, you know, as, as they said, a representative of Jesus Christ, uh, while at the same time feeling like a total fraud. Yeah. Because I'm out there like, because I did have a belief in like the, 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 perf- the perfection of Christ and the perfection of his message and that I was out there representing him and I felt completely underwhelmed like, or overwhelmed. Like, I don't, I can't represent this dude. He's the man. I'm... And so it became, there were these times where like I would have these like sort of flash feelings of like extreme anger, extreme sadness. Um, and it felt like uncontrollable. Yeah. It was odd. And I think 
I didn't experience them at that sort of intensity until when I got divorced. Yeah. I remember having this moment, like, because I think part of what brings those on is just when you get outside of the comfort of knowing what's next. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when you, um, people do things all the time to sabotage their own behaviors, right? And they know that it's not good, but it's comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean comfortable in that it feels good. I mean, it's comfortable. It's the, they're, it's predictable. It, it, they know it. They know the playbook. Like, oh, they're going to run the sweep here. I, was, oh, I know what we're doing. It's going to suck and it's going to fucking hurt, but at least I know what's coming. Yeah. And there's comfort in that knowing what's coming. Um, when you find yourself in situations where you're, you don't know what's coming and then you feel like it's really hard. Like it's a, well, it's a, it's a, my experience has been, it's very difficult. I remember this one time, like, so the idea, when I got divorced, I had uh, two daughters. One was barely born and the other one was uh, barely two. And our divorce, my, my ex-wife and I, we, we didn't handle things well. And so it was very adversarial, very mean, vindictive. There was a lot of like, you know, just destruction going back and forth. And I wasn't ready for it. Mm -hmm. I had, I know that I had hurt this woman, but I didn't ever think I would get that sort of wrath back. Like it blew my mind that that was going to be my experience. That was my experience. I remember I used to uh, have a, I was a mortgage broker at the time and uh, I had an office that was on 40th South and 7th East and I was driving home and I was sitting at the light on 4,500 South and State Street. I've never had an experience like this before and I hope I never have it like this again. It was like this wave that kind of came over. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about everything and this wave comes over me of the most debilitating sadness that I've ever experienced. Like it, it was like this dream of this life that I had had. I not only was it crushed, I felt like it was never possible and that I had been lied to and that I am being faced now with this extreme amount of dishonesty from the church, from my ex, my soon to be ex-wife, from myself, from all these, my family painting this picture that this is always going to be this way. And if it end, didn't end up that way, well, at least it could be this way. And the whole thing, it got destroyed, like crushed in front of me. And I didn't know how to handle it. Like it was the first time where it was like, I can still say I've never had a moment that sad in my entire life. And it was, uh, I can't explain why. I don't know what triggered it into that moment. I don't know why it was. But the surrounding evidence for me was that my dream had died. Yeah, And it was a, like I was, I had, I had yet to emotionally mourn the death of the dream. Yeah. And it just kind of came on me. I think a lot of people have that more than we think. Yeah. And I would love, I would love to experience the, the other side of that. Sure. That like my dream comes true and <laughs> it's like this overwhelming joy and light and just, oh, yes. Because one of the things I've learned about emotional int intelligence and emotional maturity is that it's a, it's a spectrum. The depth to which you can feel sadness can be equaled on the other side to the depth to which you can feel joy. Sure. And so I know it's out there that I can feel that good. I just got to get there. For sure. And part of the reason that I ask is right now we see these, this almost division of humanity. We have this, this human that is operating out of the, you know, the lower chakras, the lower feelings, which you had expressed you did going through your divorce. Yeah. And then you have the other side that's like, you know what? I'm not living at the, this spectrum. I'm not going from ultra to ultra. I'm going to live right here. And right here is perfection. Right here is happiness. Right here is, you know, I'm in love with the moment that the person that I am right now and the experience that I'm having right now. 
And I'm watching this division and it's creating like classes of humans. Like one is evolving and one is not. One is staying angry and staying in this, you know, rooted problem. You did this to me, victim mentality, you know, all of that. And then the other one is going, oh, okay, cool. I'm coming out of that or or I am out of that scenario. Um, And when you get out, the lower things that used to trigger you don't anymore. They almost stop existing. Just like, oh, wow, you're, man, you must be having a hard, somebody's yelling at you and you're like, whoa, you're having a bad day. Where prior to that, somebody's yelling at you, you're triggered and you're yelling back because you're just like, why is this about me? This is about you. Instead of going, whoa, man, I feel you. you Dude, it's reminding me, like, so thinking about your journey and what you learned and studied, it's like, I remember when I first, and this isn't even remotely close, obviously, to what you went through, but like, I remember when I first read The Four Agreements, Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, this book is so simple and powerful. Like the idea of not taking anything personal, which is what you had just described. It's yep. like somebody's mad at me, like, wow, you must be really bothered. Like, <laughs> I'm just a shield here. I mean, you're not affecting me, even though they're directing it towards me or projecting yeah. it onto me. I don't have to buy in, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's a, I wonder how old that truth is. Uh, probably as long as humans have been here. And we don't even uh, who know was when the that first is. One? <laughs> like, who was the first one? I was like, you know what? I don't have to buy into your delusion right now. You can be yeah. pissed all you want. I'm going to be easy peasy, baby. Yeah, I'm just going to sit over here and hang I out meet with that guy. dog. I want to meet that guy. <laughs> yeah. I want to meet the first dude who's like, you know what? I'm just going to keep my word. I'm going <laughs> to always do my best. I'm not going to take things personal, and I'm not going to make assumptions. Yeah. And everyone's around like, whoa, bro, dude. <laughs> Gnarly, man. This guy's a gangster, bro. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like the most calm dude ever. Yeah. He's just like, I'm just tired of being sick like you guys. <laughs> Self-inflicted. Yeah. He's like, I'm tired of pulling your train, you fucking slackers. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this has man. been fun, dude. We, uh, we have a fun segment that we do called Current Events where we just talk shit on stuff that's going on in the in things. So I figure oh, yeah. we can wrap this up with some current events if you're down. Sure. You, you totally okay. down. What you got, B? So the Finnish prime minister has been catching a bunch of backlash for posting pictures of her clubbing out in Finland. And she said, I took a drug test, so I do this drug-free. So you can be mad at me all you want, but I don't do drugs while I party. So she's taking a backlash stance on everybody freaking out that she's 30, she's 36 years old out there clubbing as the prime minister Okay, so let's read So 36-year-old female Finnish woman who just so happens to be prime minister is out clubbing drug-free, mm-hmm. and people are bent. Yes, and she okay. says, I have the drug test to prove it. Have you ever clubbed in Finland? I have not clubbed in Finland. I wonder what that's like. I don't know, but I just had this conversation with somebody that went to God. What is it called? It's like Wonderlust, Wonderland. It's a it's Burning a, Man. <laughs> no, it's a music festival that is in Europe that has it's it's not quite in Finland, but it's like okay. Glastonbury type scenarios. Okay. And <clears throat> this guy was telling me how there was a like dozens and dozens of seventy year old women in like you know little outfits raving. Drug-free. Fucking raving. grandma, dude. And Love would, it. It was normal for that scenario. It was normal for them to just here we're like, oh, you're 30 and you need to stop doing stuff. You're 40 and you need to stop going to club. You're 50 and you can't go, you know, to the gym anymore. We we create these right, these rules that aren't yeah, but, air quoted again. So having a 36-year-old woman at a nightclub? Yeah. I mean, dude, Prime I, Minister, I'm more, I'm more thinking. Who's the fucking idiot that had to write that stupid article? Who's like, I can't believe our prime minister is out clubbing. She's having fun. Dude, the political, uh, the, the political sort of rules are so funny to me. Yeah. Like the, the well, we have to do things that respect the office. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. 
I did. I had a she good time. She didn't have time. her tits hanging out, I don't think. Like, we don't hear that she was freaking dry humping some dude in the bathroom. Like, and Maybe even if she was, was you got to get policy changes done somehow, bro. <laughs> you, know, you use what you God gave you. For sure. <laughs> That's funny to me that, like, sure. they would have an issue with that. I mean, if I was to see, you know, Biden... It, a, cl- a rave like that'd be, yeah. I'd be like, well, maybe. Yeah. I'd maybe be not. just worried about him dying. Yeah. Trumpet a rave though, dude. That's <laughs> yeah. that little shuffle. That little, he's got <laughs> no rhythm. <laughs> but it could be fun. He's like, hey, Finnish prime minister, it get over here. Fun. You're my age. You're just about the right yeah. age I like. <laughs> and then somebody would write a news article about, you know, how this rave was put on by music that cr- was created in China because of the technology behind of right. the discs. You know, the DJ booth. Yep. And it wasn't the DJ. It wasn't the music, but it was boundless. And now he's supporting. And the proceeds all go to Ukraine. And so it's like a... <laughs> and then they just make stuff up. Somehow like, Imagine Dragons is there. I don't know what yeah. the fucking connection is for everything. Man, but the things they make up right now just blow my mind. It does. And, and the people that believe it, like, I, I jokingly bring up Imagine Dragons. I was so... I went to their concert that was... Okay. It, it was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. That Go guy, on. Dan Reynolds, can put on a show. Yeah. But you can tell he's kind of a cuck. Mm-hmm. Because, like, he had this whole thing at the end about Ukraine and everything. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. bro, really? Really? Paid you for but that. really, though? You know? And he had a thing about being vaccinated and everything. And then he had a oh, whole wow. thing about the pride flag and everything. And I'm like, dude, you're just hitting all the talking points, bro. Wow. Like, you got to be. I thought he was more awake than that. Maybe he's woke, not awake. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't even know. Because it was, he's clearly a man of high passion. Uh-huh. He's extremely creative. He is a showman like few. Mm-hmm. are uh put on a great show but there was some of that stuff where it's like did this isn't 10 years ago like what are you talking about yeah like i've just full disclosure i've, I've had a real tough time with like pride month mm-hmm. not because i i don't agree that those that individuals that are gay lesbian queer inner whatever all of the you know lgbt how many are there uh-huh. lgbtqi plus um, that they don't deserve, you know, the same rights as everybody else, but they got them. So yeah, deserve was the word. Yeah, if you de- believe you deserve something, you believe you don't have it. That's fair. Yeah. Well, and there, and it's like I've I've talked to I jokingly call them like old gays, mm-hmm. like Stonewall gays that were like a part of the original thing where they were truly dealing with oppression and you know being sure. killed off stuff. And he's like, this new crop is a bunch of sissies, man. Like they. They act like they're oppressed. They have more privilege than most other people. And like, I look at this and I go, you get a month? Yeah. You get a month. Well, all right. Dead soldiers get a day. They get a day. America gets a day. The fucking country gets a day. Yeah. And pride's a month. Yeah. Okay. We're doing this now? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. that The philosophy that's being pushed says something like, you need to believe what I believe to make me feel good, right? Oh, dude, I've talked about this a lot. Yes. (laughs) It's psychologically impossible. Yeah. Like the idea, and I've I've spoken about this a lot on this show, like the idea that you need to change your behavior to affect my offense, Mm -hmm. it's impossible. Yeah. Because, okay, so you're going to change your behavior so that I am not offended, but what if he has a different sensibility for what offends him and you didn't change your behavior enough to change? And it's like, well, fucking nobody wins. Yeah. Unless you take it internal and you're like, how about I control my offense? Yep. You got it. Sorry to bust the bubble, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Own your feelings. All yep. right. It's all anyway. inside. All right. What else you got, B? So do you guys know Brewer Stadium? Well, 
where the Milwaukee Brewers play in the center field, they have the slide. Yeah. Well, this L.A. Dodgers uh, sideline reporter decided to go down it. And uh, I'll just play the video. If it plays. Oh, come on, Twitter. Hmm. All right. So he's going to go down this slide and take a little crash at the end. Okay. That looks fun, actually. It does look a little fun. Oh. Ow. Okay. Broke his arm and fractured six ribs. Whoa, Dude, just he, that. Just that. He just needs to wow. bring some more milk, man. Yeah. Yeah. Let me guess. He's a vegetarian. I don't know. He works oh, for L.A. He's from L.A. He's, a, he's an L.A. sideline reporter, so he's got his kale on point and his avocado toast, and he needs some protein. He needs a, he needs a steak is what he needs. Yeah. Okay, so he, he broke some ribs. Yeah. And then... Back to it, the he just got cast up and was back there, and uh, all the players are making fun of him. They uh, he says, "Oh crap!" when he slams into the wall, and the Brewers <laughs> did a, like a painting or like a <coughs> tape drawing of him saying, "Oh crap!" and his image sliding against the wall. So yeah. all the players are making fun of him for it. Awesome, dude! You got to put a little clip of that in the show. Absolutely, you, dude. That's hilarious, man. Yeah, I don't know how I think about that. I mean, did he really? Do we have the X-rays? Maybe he made it up because he wants to sue somebody. <laughs> dude. He is from L.A. Those guys are so happy because <laughs> yeah. I live in full stereotype of all the time. <laughs> There's a monolith of who everybody is in L.A. Everybody's exactly the same. There's no difference in yeah, anything, you know? It's like Utah. It's like Utah. Utah are Mormons. Yep. We all drink swig and oh, yeah. deal with adult-onset diabetes. It's yeah. awesome. It's, the, the soda phenomenon is wild to me. It's predictable if you think <laughs> about it, though. It's just booze. Yeah. It's Mormon booze. Yeah. So is the, the, the crumble thing. The cookie crumble. Yeah. Well, the, the, the crumble the, cookies. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's, that's their crack. It's fantastic to me because it, it's it's one of those things. Like as somebody that has uh, you know kind of been through the whole process with the church and really had to analyze my beliefs about that. Yeah, I laugh that like some four hundred pound fuck can give me advice about coffee and booze. <laughs> sure, I'm like, bro, what are you what are you sure. doing, man? You know, I have a really good friend that he owns several crumble cookies in Washington State. Okay, and during COVID, they shut everything down except there were bakeries, but he's not a bakery. It was just like a drive-up food guy. Yeah. And he was inundated. He had to run 24-hour crews, like, just to keep up with his stuff. And now they're not closed down anymore, but each of his crumble cookies, each one, nets him, net, like, after expenses, yeah. lights, employees, about $100,000 a month for God, a crumble God cookie. bless him, dude. He's cracking sugar. He's a drug dealer every of time, sugar. Every time he uh, goes to you know talk about his places, he has to look behind his shoulders. Yeah, hey, by the yeah way. I got I got what you need, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's really crazy. <laughs> you need some of that processed sugar? I got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just eat one of those things, dude. They're so good, dude. They're so bad for you, though. They are. I read some article the other day that was talking about like seven main ingredients that are almost in all of their cookies, yeah. and they're all outlawed in other countries except the United States. So I, I just went off the crumble. I'm like, I'm, I'm just not going to put that pesticide in my body from a cookie. That's fair. Because it wasn't good for me in the first place, but I loved it. Like yeah. they just, it's like biting into a hot Krispy Kreme donut. It's like butter. Yeah. It's cold. Yeah, and you immediately feel like a shitty person. There's some self-shaming going on in there. <laughs> it's like nothing tastes as good as looking whatever the th anyway, that's I won't go there. <laughs> what else you got, man? Yeah, you spoke a crack. So uh Lamar Odom is Oh no. <laughs> got an eighty thousand dollar procedure done to get veneers all done in his mouth to clean up his mouth now that he's coming becoming cleaner. Mm. Was the teeth issue because of crack? 
smoking. Well, probably various reasons, but his gums <laughs> here don't look all healthy. He's a fascinating guy to me. Yeah, I don't even know who he is. He was a Laker for a while, mm. and he uh, he ended. He has. Do they have a baby with Kardashians? One of those. So. Chloe. Oh, got it. Um. Yeah, and he had like this, like horrible drug problem that put him in rehab, and it got him. He did mm. some dumb things with it, and but he seemed always seemed like a sweet guy. Yeah, and it just seems like he got <laughs> mixed up with the wrong ladies. <laughs> Joe Rogan has that bit where he talks about how the Kardashians will just rob you of everything, and that's what made Bruce Jenner become Caitlyn Jenner. Because, oh, like, yeah. the demons of the Kardashians <laughs> whispered into his ears and literally slept. <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> anyway. You know, living out of the country where I didn't have television, I didn't watch sports, I yeah. didn't follow, like, I, I lost the connection to those things that I used to hold dear, yeah, like football much. or whatever. I just, it's like, I don't even know who these people are anymore. Yeah. I don't want to keep up with them. A lot of times it doesn't matter. No. It's just purely entertainment. Yeah. But Beautiful. Right on, man. Well, dude, I, I really appreciate you taking time yeah. to come and hang out. And yeah, this has been fun. Chat it up, dude. I don't know. We've been in like a thousand different directions today, but That's it's been point, fun. That's the point, man. Yeah. I, I've, I've been saying this, like, I, I say this humbly. Like, I've, I've, I'd want to pattern this show after what Joe Rogan does. Mm, yeah. I'm a comedian, so I can have comics on, and we can tell all the dick jokes and rib each other and be silly and nonsensical, or we can have good conversations with highly intelligent people that have cool experiences, and it can be in the same week we do those things. Yeah, so absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Of course, dude. Open invite to come back whenever you want, man. Done. So Done. Um, Greg W. Anderson is my dude. Where do people find you if they wanted to be associated with what you're doing? Um, I mean, the easiest one are social medias, which is going to be like an Instagram, Greg W. Anderson. Okay. No dots, no misspelling of the, the name. It's, and I say this because I, at least at this moment, I have at least 40 fake accounts, and it's been happening for years. Dude, I'm so jealous. I have zero fake accounts. Never had one issue with that, man. It's and, coming now that you say it. Well, You're going to track that right in. I doubt it, dude. Like, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm Teflon with that. I just, mm. they're, they're like, we don't need to. I get messages from Nobody friends. would believe this guy's into crypto. <laughs> Three or four times a day, I get a message from a friend going, like a text saying, hey, am I on the other line with you right now? Okay. No. Yeah. Like I have one account. So just that. And if I message you from a different account, it's not me because I'm not going to message you anyway. Right. <laughs> so Greg W. Anderson, um, same thing as on, on Facebook, uh, which is probably the easiest ways to connect, you know, we're doing so many different things with Lines Not Sheep, Lines Not Sheep NFTs, and then Jadari is the new software platform. And I don't go outside of those um, uh, those mediums mm -hmm. at the moment, unless it's one of our own products, just because, man, it takes a lot of time to stay up on everything. Love that. Busy man doing the, doing the Lord's work, Greg. Yeah, I think I am. Yeah. I think I am. I think those Lines Not Sheep NFTs, you know, those are the Lord's work, man. There, we're literally creating blessings by creating money and giving it back to people. Yeah, I've taken my claims. Like, it's great. Freaking love it, man. Yeah, it's cool. Anyway, we'll have to talk about that next time. Done. Anyway. Okay. Everybody, thanks for watching and listening to Stand Up. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it. Subscribe to the channel. Keep the conversation going. Let's have this be something that uh, we get out there more in the ethos. And uh, we'll see you next time.